executive pastor here, so I get to do a lot of fun stuff, one of which is to preach every once in a while. Uh, I will give an air high five to anyone who is not my family member who can tell me what JD stands for. Justin what? Justin Daniel. Nice. I'm impressed. I feel valued and affirmed that you knew that. Uh, yes, my name is Justin, and after that Super Bowl performance, I'm thinking about going back to Justin. Seems like it's got a lot of cachet right now. No, but uh, continuously in my life, I, with, with JD, people call me DJ. Uh, they love to change it up. I'm not sure it's intentional, but they love to do that. Uh, and as some of you may remember uh, Joe Knight, who used to be a part of Mill City here. He got in the habit of coming up to me and, and giving me a new JD name every time he saw me. So he would be like John Dorian from Scrubs all the time. And uh, it was kind of fun. So my name is meaningful to me. I, I use JD intentionally because it retains my middle name. And I'm named after my grandfather. And uh, why we ask this question is we're talking about uh, praying in the name of Jesus today because we're continuing our spiritual warfare series that we've called Pick Your Battles. So we're continuing this series. And I want to just point out in your bulletin, I'm not going to reference it today, but there's that insert that Stephanie talked about last week. And if you've missed any of the three sermons of this sermon series, I really encourage you to go to millcitychurch.com, listen to the sermons. They've been really important. Uh, on that insert, there's this uh, image that Sky McCartney, who's here, uh, made for us. And she wasn't here last week, so we didn't get to clap for her while she was here. So I want to do that right now. Can you give her a huge round of applause? It's just really cool for our community, for her to use her gifts. Uh, to help us think about what it means uh, to pick our battles. So, so what do we mean by this? When I say spiritual warfare, when we've been say, saying spiritual warfare, uh, some things might come to mind for you. Let me just read uh, sort of a definition of that for our community, what we've been talking about. So here's a spiritual warfare edition, definition. This is kind of what we've been working with. The battle happening in the spiritual realms between the forces of good and evil, God and Satan, light and darkness. The battle is spiritual, yet it has tangible implications in, uh, for the metaphysical realities we face in our lives as we participate in the coming of the kingdom of God around us. So why this pick your battles uh, theme when we're talking about this? We have to pick our battles because the war is unseen. Uh, the war that is unseen is where the most is at stake for the kingdom of God and thus our lives. So I just wanted to get us around that idea of spiritual war warfare that we're pressing into, this choosing our battles. And I have to just pause and say uh, that whenever we talk about this as a community, there's always pushback. There's always pushback in the spiritual realms. I, don't, you, I can't remember if this is mentioned, but this is the third week in a row we've had a worship team member call in sick. There's just stuff that's happened as we've pressed into this conversation. Many of our staff members have been ill. Um, one has gotten into a car accident. There's just some things just even our staff members are experiencing as we decide to have this conversation. And I don't know the stories you're experiencing as you think about this. I just want to acknowledge that when we press into this, when we ask these questions, when we think about these things, the evil one doesn't like that. He doesn't like to lose any ground. So I, I just want to be real about pressing into this conversation. I don't want to scare you, freak you out. I just, I just want to help you understand the weight of this conversation a little bit. 
Now, this is really important for us to understand the authority we have in Jesus to press into the spiritual realm, to press into these things in our lives and take some ground for the kingdom of God and experience freedom where we're experiencing oppression or, or, or distraction or things that are holding us back. So I, I, I just want to pause before we get to our scripture today and continue this conversation and just pray and claim this space for Jesus to work in our lives, for the Holy Spirit to teach us. So would you pray with me? And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pause a little bit before I say any words. So there's going to be some silence. And I hope in that silence, maybe to take a moment of reflection on what this conversation has meant for you, or what me even setting up this conversation means for you. What's your feeling towards this idea of, of Jesus' authority and pressing in to spiritual things? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's good every once in a while to just stop and listen for your leadership, for your guidance, just a fresh reminder of who you are, the power you have to keep us safe, just a fresh reminder that you love us. God, whatever we're facing today, whatever we come to this scripture with, to this teaching with, God, we just want to say and declare in Jesus' name that this is your space. This is your space to teach us what you need to teach us. Give us eyes to, hear, eyes to see and ears to hear what you want us to hear this morning. We claim this space for Jesus in his powerful name. Amen. Well, the scripture I want to look at this morning to help us address this question, uh, what does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus, is Acts 4, 1 through 22. So we'll, we'll look at that in a little bit, but if you want to uh, turn your Bibles there if you brought one or pull out a smartphone and get to that place. Um, first of all, let me just say we, we've been referencing praying in the name of Jesus and Jesus' authority in this scripture. And, and honestly, when I, th- when I think about that or when I hear about that, it just kind of, kind of breezes by sometimes because praying in the name of Jesus, just saying in the name of Jesus at the end of prayers at certain seasons of my life was just kind of a formulaic thing you threw at the end of a prayer. It's just what we're supposed to do. I actually preached a sermon uh, a few years ago about prayer, and I didn't say anything about praying in the name of Jesus. And then as soon as I got down from stage after the sermon, I saw this woman I've never seen before, never seen her since, uh, 50 years uh, more mature than I am, just beelining it for me right after. And she's got those eyes, those like, you left something out of your sermon eyes, and I'm going to come tell you what you left out. And she continued for like the next four minutes, and I just was like smiling by the end of it because it was so intense. She was chastising me for not saying anything about using the name of Jesus. And she didn't give any arguments necessarily why it was important to do that. She just said that I needed to do that. And that's how I kind of have felt around using the name of Jesus sometimes. I just don't like, there's been seasons in my life where I haven't fully grasped the why behind it, like why we use the name of Jesus, but it's, it's really clear to me that we're supposed to. So this morning, I hope we can press into that a little bit with this scripture and understand a little bit more why we're invited to pray and practice Jesus' authority by using his name. So Acts 4, 1 through 2. Uh, So before we jump into the scripture, if we just started reading, it'd be a little bit like watching the This Is Us episode after the Super Bowl and going, what in the world is going on? So let me give you a little backdrop. Uh, If you don't know what This Is Us is, you don't need to. That was just a cultural reference joke that you didn't really need to laugh at. So, 
But it's, it's, it'd be like stepping into a second scene of a play or something you didn't see the first scene. So here's what's going on here. This is Acts. So this is the story of the church and what happens after Jesus is resurrected and then ascends to heaven after Jesus is on earth. And so they've been empowered by the Holy Spirit in Pentecost, and now this new community is forming really rapid, rapidly, and some amazing things are happening in Jerusalem, and the leaders of the church are being empowered by the Holy Spirit to do amazing works in the midst of that community. They're healing people, they're confronting demonic forces in people in the name of Jesus, and people are paying attention. There's a couple scriptures where it says, you know, thousands of people are being added to their numbers, meaning that this is a big deal, kind of like the Super Bowl was a buzz in Minneapolis, uh, just a few weeks ago, like everyone was talking about it. Everybody's talking about these Jesus people who are doing things on the street and by the temple, and people are paying attention. And particularly before this scripture in chapter 3, uh, two of Je- uh, Jesus' closest disciples, Peter and John, decide to go out to the temple, and they encounter a crippled man who the scripture says is well-known in the community. So this is someone who's been disabled their whole life from birth, but still has a relationship with the people around them. He's well-known. People love this person. Uh, It says he begs at the city gates, so they know him, or the temple gates, so they know him from interactions, and they heal this guy in the name of Jesus. They come up, and they say, in the name of Jesus, walk. And they practice the authority of Jesus, and this dude is healed. And he's jumping around, and it causes this huge stir in the community. And it says 3,000 people just from that event were added to the church that day. It was a big deal, big news, and so much so, so miraculous and powerful that people are changing their mind about who Jesus is and starting to follow him. So let me give you some key characters for this scripture as we, as we come up to it so you know who people are in the story. First of all, I already told you, Peter and John, you know who they are, close disciples. This man that they healed, the crippled man, really well known, makes a big impact when he's healed. People love him. And then there's this group called the Sadducees. And uh, related to them is the Sanhedrin. So let me explain who the Sadducees are. The Sadducees were a group of uh, uh, religious families that held most, if not all, the wealth and power in Jerusalem. These were the silver spoon uh, Jews. These were Jews who had the economic authority, whose kids went to the best schools, who's got the best positions, and because of that, they have a really close relationship with the Roman oppression that's oppressing the people of Jerusalem right now. And they're in a position where it's advantageous for new movements not to start. They have the best economic position. One more thing you need to know about the Sadducees. They do not believe in resurrection. And they adamantly oppose the accounts of Jesus being raised from the dead and think it's ludicrous and think that anyone being raised from the dead is not okay. So think about that in terms of who Jesus is and what's going on right now before we read the scripture. So let's read the scripture and see what it means for Peter and John in the early church to do things and pray in the name of Jesus. Let's pick the story up, Acts chapter 4, with all of these characters. The priests and the captains and the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. I love uh, the author of Acts, Luke, just interjects this here. But 
many who heard the message believe. So, uh, so the numbers of the men who believed grew to about 5,000. So 5,000 men, so that's 10,000 plus people now that this Jesus movement is at because of what's transpired. The next day, the rulers, so the Sadducees are gathering all of their power people together here for a trial. It says the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Uh, Annas, the high priest who was there, and uh, Caiaphas, John, uh, Alexander, and the others, high priest family. And the reason why he's naming them here, these are the people who are instrumental in Jesus' trial, where he's condemned to the cross. These are the same people who were cheering the crowd on to chant crucify him. So it's important for the author to point that out here. This is almost, in a way, a recreation of that trial that happened before Jesus' death. So these were the same people who did that to Jesus. They put, back in verse 7 here, they put Peter and John, brought them before, and began to question them. And their central question is, by what power or what name did you do this? Specifically, uh, healing the crippled man or all the works that they've been doing so far. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers, elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all of the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is, and he's quoting Psalm 18, uh, 118.22 here, the stone that the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And Psalm 18 was this like triumphant psalm for the Jewish people that uh, echoed who God was, their leader who would eventually save them. So he's essentially equating Jesus with the God that they had worshipped in that way. Peter continues and said, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Here's this God who said he would save them, coming in Jesus and has saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they, I love this, were unschooled, ordinary men. And they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the men, uh, they could see the man uh, who they had healed standing there before them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and then they had a little conference, a little power people huddle. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone in Jerusalem knows they have performed notable signs, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. They can't even say Jesus' name. Then they called them together again and commanded them not to speak at all in Jesus' name. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to God, to him? You be the judge. As for you, we cannot... As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. 
I love how that scripture ends, as if, you know, once you're past 40, it's, it's a big deal. <laughs> uh, and I'm not sure that was the intention of the scripture, but I just think it's funny. Here's this uh, somewhat uh, interesting story that on the surface, you're like, I'm not, there's a lot of dynamics going on. I'm not sure what's happening. And you might be asking me, uh, J.D., we're talking about spiritual warfare. This is a healing uh, a story. What, why are you choosing this story? And I, I think this story holds a lot of dynamics that can help us understand why praying in the name of Jesus and practicing his authority makes a difference, why we're invited to do that and what it can do. And the first thing, I, I just want to note a few things about this story in reference to that reality of practicing the authority of Jesus by using his name. The first thing is Jesus's authority is disruptive. It's not lost on the listeners of this story that these are the most powerful people in Jerusalem. And by what's happening in Jesus' name, they're disrupting the social norm. They're disrupting their reality. And here's how I think it's connected. In spiritual warfare, uh, the evil one has interest in us being oppressed and the oppression that we experience being maintained. And the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin are are very uh, directly profiting off of this person's oppression, the man who was healed. He's an oppressed person. The social structure that exists in Jerusalem benefits the Sadducees, and they are ticked that it's being disrupted and that there's a movement starting with a crippled person and uh, two fishermen who somehow know this man, Jesus, and are disrupting the community. Jesus' authority disrupts what's not right about our world. They ask him, they say, by what authority are you doing this? And it says Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, addresses them, and it says it is by Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Let me break that down. Jesus, the person, Christ, the Messiah that they've been longing for. The Sadducees thought the Messiah was long gone. They didn't need a Messiah anymore, particularly because they had all the power. They didn't need a Messiah to come save someone because they had all the power. Saving wasn't a good situation for them. And it said, by his very name, who you crucified and God raised from the dead. The very thing that they won't believe in is the very means by which Jesus has authority to enact things in the world. So just a real simple thing. When, when we're invited to pray in the name of Jesus, we're, I'm basically saying we're invited to pray in the authority of Jesus. So the thing that ticks the Sadducees off the most is they don't have the power in the situation. And that's very similar to what's happening in spiritual warfare. Why we pray in the name of Jesus is because the, emin- the enemy does not have power over the name of Jesus. Much like the Sadducees' power is being disrupted in this moment, when we use the authority of Jesus because of what he's accomplished on the cross, we are disrupting the authority of the enemy and claiming that Jesus' authority is over their authority in this situation. It's remarkable what's happening here, and I think in the simplest way, we see Peter and John in the early church seeing something that's not right in the world. They see something they encounter and say, that's not right. There's a storyline that's happening that's not congruent or uh, that doesn't match up with Jesus' story. They see something wrong in the world, they encounter it, and they pray the name of Jesus because Jesus' story has authority over that story. They say, this man is crippled from birth. We're going to heal them because I know Jesus can do that because he's conquered the grave and I've seen him do it before. And it happens. 
That's what happens when we pray in the name of Jesus. We see something that's not right in the world, and we affirm the name of Jesus because we know that the name of Jesus has the power to make that wrong thing right. And that makes some people mad. That's what's happening, particularly the enemy. One way to think about this, because you may be asking, you know, how, how does this work? What's the technical thing? Us people who are theologically interested are like, why doesn't God just do things? Why do, why do we need to participate? Why do we need to ask the name of Jesus? And uh, I, I've, I've listened to some people on this. I've read some people. And I like the way that Greg Boyd talks about this. And I, he's, he writes way too much, so I can't, like, give you a quote. But let me summarize with, uh, some of his thinking about this in my own words. I, I think of it this way, why we use the name of Jesus, why we're invited to participate in this way. Jesus gives us the practice of doing things and praying in his name because in some wonderful, mysterious way, when we do so, we unlock spiritual realities that God wants to accomplish and manifest in the world. You hear that? It's a part of what it means to bring the kingdom of God closer. For some mysterious awesome and loving reason, the God who is able to do anything invites us to participate by calling on his authority when we see wrong things in the world that need to be made right. Isn't that an adventurous, awesome way to think about our relationship with God? The privilege it is to call Jesus our leader and Lord and to do things in his name? God's not interested in being someone who just snaps his fingers and makes the world better. He wants us to participate in that. And so there's this missional energy, this missional uh, invitation for us to participate by encountering the wrong things in the world in the name of Jesus. So how do we practice Jesus' authority? How do we do this? How do we live into this? How do we be people who consistently practice God's authority? I love, as I mentioned, uh, verse 13 I'll just read it again. When they saw this, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note they had been with Jesus. When we talk about these things, when we tell stories of practicing the authority of Jesus, we need to realize that it's the early church, Peter and John, these were ordinary guys. These were guys who knew how to set a hook. These were guys whose profession was fishing. These were guys who didn't go to a seminar, who weren't super trained, who didn't have a master's degree to do these things. And they had been with Jesus. Notice what they have. They have the courage to step into the situation, and it's clear to them that they had a relationship with Jesus. I would put it in these, this words, what it looks like for us to practice the authority of Jesus and use his name. Courageous, ordinary people who are with Jesus. That's what I'm saying. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had our winter retreat, and every year we have the opportunity for someone to share their story. And many of you who are there heard uh, from Chad Pressure, who told this kind of awesome story of what we're talking about this morning. And I sort of want to retell it to you. I'm not going to tell it the same way he did. It was really funny. And he told it really well, and I encourage you to find him if you know him or introduce with him and ask him more about it. But basically, Chad, uh, a few years ago, uh, decided to be a part of this discipleship school called Form that Mill City participates in. 
And they did a section of that uh, uh, discipleship school on spiritual warfare, having similar conversations like we're having this morning. And they invited others to practice the authority of name of Jesus. And Chad's like, hey, why don't we try this on me? Why don't we sit down and you pray the name of Jesus over me? He had been experiencing some things in his life. And he said, why not? Let's try this. I'm wondering if I have, uh, the, maybe there's an oppressive uh, a spirit to be, to be confronted in me. So they sat down, they tried it, they went through a really simple prayer where they just called on the authority of Jesus. And in Chad's words, he's like, nothing really happened. I just kind of sat there, uh, and I didn't really know why God asked me to do that and step into that. Uh, so he's just like, that was great, learned some new things, nothing big changed. Um, but he went on with his life. A few weeks later, he gets this call from his brother, who he dearly loves, best friend in his life, uh, Josh. Josh calls him up and says, hey, man, you want to hang out? Uh, let's just hang out. So they started to hang out. Uh, and in the midst of them hanging out, they got into this deep con- conversation, kind of a heart-to-heart conversation with, about kind of what was most true in their life, what, what was holding them the back, back most, some of their deepest struggles in that moment. And in that moment, Chad's like, I, I, sh- I should pray in the name of Jesus. Now, now, now realize, uh, Chad has, has no experience in like a charismatic background where this is more prevalent. He has no formal training in this other than the experience he had in form where they told him just to try this. And here he is, he's like, I feel like God's asking me to pray over my brother Josh for these things that are holding him back in this life, this oppression that he's feeling. So right then and there as they're hanging out, he reached out his hand. He's like, can I, can I touch your head? Is that okay? Because he, he felt like that was something he needed to do. So he touched his head and he started to pray. And in Chad's words on the retreat, he, uh, what came out of his mouth were these Christian turds, he said. These little prayers that Christians say, these, these words that kind of are meaningless, like Christianisms that come out of your mouth. And he said for about good two, three minutes, he just prayed in Christianese, and he didn't really feel like anything was happen, happening. And he sat there, he was still touching his head. And he stopped, uh, and, and there was this moment where Chad was like, you know, I don't think that was it. I don't think that's what uh, the Holy Spirit was leading me to do in this moment. Can, can, we, can we pray again? And Josh was like, okay. And Chad started by listening. Chad stopped, took a breath, and then something happened that he can't fully even explain uh, to this day. He felt the authority of the Holy Spirit participate in that moment, and he began to pray in the name of Jesus over his brother. And here's what happened, which I think is really interesting. There was no formula to that. Chad began to recall truths that were foundational to him and his relationship with Jesus, experiences that he had, experiences that he had in being with Jesus that were true of his own story, and he spoke those truths over his brother's life. In that moment, I believe, as I'm hearing Chad tell the story, he was able to see the reality that his brother Josh was living in and see the reality of what he knew was true about Jesus and be able to speak that truth over that reality and say, that's not right. Here's what's true about who Jesus is, that he's love, he's, he's good, 
that he has the power to break every chain over every oppression that we're experiencing. And, and they went on to pray, and, uh, pray in a loud voice in Chad's own recollection of the story, really authoritatively, and for a long time. And then something happened where it just broke loose. They were done, and something had changed. Josh even said something had changed in him, something had changed in Chad, and they wept together for a while. It was such a powerful moment. Now, all the while while this was happening, they were hanging out at their house, and there was roommates there. So when they were done, they walked out, and the roommates kind of were like, what just happened in there? Uh, and because he had been speaking in this loud, authoritative voice that he would say was partially the Holy Spirit leading him to do. And, and as they told the story of what just happened, the friends were like, yeah, that sounds true of what we heard in there. And they were able to share a bit of their own story. And there's this awesome moment of worship uh, together as a house. And ever since, Josh would tell you today that something's been different about what was oppressing him in that time. His life has changed from that experience. Because of Chad's prompting, because of the Holy Spirit's movement to pray the authority of Jesus over his situation in their life, it changed. God broke through. The kingdom of God came closer in their life. These are just ordinary guys. They have no special training. This is what it looks like for us as a community when we encounter wrong things in our world, when people we love in our neighborhoods, and we have the courage to pray the name of Jesus over those situations. Stuff changes. The kingdom of God comes closer. I don't know about you, but I want to grow in the capacity to see those moments more, to do those, the, uh, step into those moments with courage. I want that kind of capacity. When I was a young person, I had the opportunity to go to the Dominican Republic and to Mexico and, and, and have encounters with Hispanics' expression of the Christian faith. And I, I got to tell you, I, I am so impressed and admire the ability of the Hispanic church to use the authority of the name of Jesus. It's almost second nature to them. They, and, and I love it, and it's, it's so attractive to me because they, they walk with such faith and they practice Jesus' authority so well. I was texting with one of my friends, Danny Bonilla, who is a community member here who grew up in Costa Rica, and I said, what does this mean for you? What does this mean? And the simple phrase he gave back to me is he said, when I pray in the name of Jesus, I am leaving the situation in Jesus' hands. I'm trusting Jesus' authority despite whatever I think or I'm afraid of in the situation. And I think that's a good, those are good tracks to run on for us to grow in this practice of praying in Jesus' name. Another thing we need to do if we want to grow in this practice of praying in Jesus' name and authority is just do it more often. When we see the wrong things that need to be made right in the authority of Jesus because of what he's accomplished, we need to step into those and pray. So here's what we're going to do. I invite the band to come up at this time. We're going to take communion, but before we do, I want you to just have the opportunity here, based on what we've learned from Scripture, based on the stories we've heard this morning, to just try this, to pray in the name of Jesus. And like I said, there's no elaborate formula to this. Here's what I want you to do. Uh, I want you to listen for a bit in silence. And I want you to, to think about life right now and, and name something uh, that's not right some sort of brokenness that you're either personally encountering or you've seen in other people's lives that's just not right. And I want us to practice the Christian response to that situation 
and pray in the name of Jesus over that situation. And a simple way to do that is to just name what would be right if Jesus encountered that situation. So if someone's experiencing some sort of brokenness and experiencing loneliness, you could pray, in the name of Jesus, would you break down that loneliness and would you help that person to know that they are loved, that they are a child of God, in, right now in some miraculous way, in the name of Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pause for a few moments before we take communion. And I want to invite the communion service to come up after I pray for this. Uh, the communion bread is gluten-free. You take one and you dip it in the juice and you celebrate and you remember Jesus' authority when we do this. And then there's people along the side of the walls who will pray further with you. So if this is striking something up in you that you feel like you need someone to pray with in the authority in the name of Jesus, there's people on the side of the walls to do that. Just take a few moments. Bring something to mind. Muster the courage to pray Jesus' story and reality and authority over that situation. And let's trust that God wants to act. God wants to do something because he loves us, because he cares about us, and he wants to bring his kingdom, his good, perfect, uh, loving reality closer to the broken things in this world. Let me pray. I invite you to pause, think, and then come forward to communion when you're ready. Father God, there's much that's wrong in this world. God, in these next few moments, bring the things to our mind that you want us to practice your authority towards or into. Jesus, it's through your amazing sacrifice on the cross and your powerful victory through the resurrection that you have the authority to change our reality. You have the authority to bring your perfect kingdom here that heals the brokenhearted, that changes things for the better, that makes wrong things right. God, in this moment, would you give us the courage of Peter and John, just ordinary people encountering things that are wrong and broken and calling on your extraordinary name to do things that we can't imagine. We trust you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. The name of Jesus is powerful. We're invited to use the name of Jesus. Let me be clear about something. What I'm not saying this morning is that if we're experiencing some sort of brokenness, the only solution is Jesus' name, or that if we don't have enough faith, Jesus' name won't change it. As Stephanie said before, we shoot in all directions. Mental illness is a real thing. If, if, if you need help, illness is a real thing. We have doctors who God has given the skills to change those realities in our life. But we've also been given this invitation to employ the authority of Jesus' name to make the wrong things right in our life. So if, you're, if there's something on your heart for you or for others, I encourage you to go pray. The people will be available after the service as well. Practice the name of Jesus and see what Jesus' authority can make right in the world and in your life. We're going to close this service with uh, In Christ Alone, this, this old hymn that just celebrates what Jesus accomplished for us in making the wrong things right.